As we have all seen, this situation is rapidly developing and could change very quickly. I know there are a lot of concerned Nevadans out there tonight, but I can assure you that we're doing everything we can to ensure that our state is working to take on this challenge. COVID-19 has had major impacts on the Silver State. Governor Steve Sisolak made this statement on March 12th. I have signed and am issuing a declaration of emergency that will give our state some additional tools and flexibility to respond quickly to this rapidly developing situation. This declaration is an important tool that will advance measures to mitigate and ultimately contain COVID-19. I want to stress that declaring a state of emergency, while certainly a mark of the seriousness with which we are taking this effort, is not a reason to panic. This declaration is the first step to opening up access to our state's emergency resources, and it helps the Sisolak state of Nevada declared Nevada to be in a state of emergency. The city of Reno and Washoe County have since followed suit. Here's Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevy. Uh, this is a very challenging time for all of us. The only way we're going to get through this is that we're going to get through this together. Um, and so my job is to really protect you and keep you safe. And we feel that this is a very, very critical time. For this program, we check in with what the city of Reno is doing to reduce the spread of COVID-19. There remains significant confusion about patient privacy and how that may impact first responders. We also check in with an advocate for the homeless and get an update on the distribution of goods and food supplies. For This Week in Reno News, I am your host, Bob Conrad. The city of Reno in early March ordered more than 150 houseless residents to move from where they were living along the train tracks. Officials said it was because the Washoe County Health District was enforcing health violations that mandate property cleanups. But homeless advocates said government should halt those cleanups for the time being. This is Lisa Lee with the Foundation for Recovery. The thing is, is you know, since there's such restricted access with places, People aren't able to go in and wash their hands or utilize the bathroom. Um, so that's a concern. And then if they are still um, doing evictions, camp evictions, sweeps, then that takes people where we know they are and we can check on everybody's well-being um, to, you know, breaking those camps up and spreading people out into the community. And uh, while you know, how people get to shelter in place. If you're without a shelter, there is no, like, where are you going to go if you're uprooted? Um, and if the city takes your tent, your shelter, uh, and throws it away, then where do you go to, quote, self-quarantine? Um, the ACLU and multiple partners signed on to a media advisory requesting all camp evictions are suspended at this time as well as putting a moratorium on actual, you know, housing evictions as well. Um, hoping to create that safety net so more 
individuals and families don't have to enter into homelessness at this time. Jim English with the Washoe County Health District on Saturday said that enforcement of health violations will not change. There is one exception. They will have slower response times because of the amount of effort being spent dealing with the coronavirus. The health district has refused to share some COVID-19 patient information with first responders. However, law enforcement is allowed some information related to patient privacy in times of crisis. I made repeated attempts to get information from the health district, the Nevada Attorney General, and the governor's office. I did not receive a response. I did, however, speak with a patient privacy expert. I'm managing partner of No World Borders. We're a healthcare data regulatory and economics expert firm. Among other things, we look at the economic value of healthcare data, the coding, the billing, and of course how the privacy of that information needs to be maintained. This is Michael Arrigo. But I do serve as an expert witness and I work with attorneys all the time when patient privacy has been breached. I explained the controversy in Reno about the health district not sharing this information with law enforcement. It turns out there's a precedent for this kind of case. Well, the coronavirus is a serious concern, and I'm sure everyone wants to maintain the safety of the public. Patient privacy is also a concern. And the proper way to report a patient who tests positive for an infectious disease is to report it to public health authorities. And that can be a county or state health authority uh, who may in turn, um, probably very likely in this case, report it, or in this scenario, report it to the federal authority, which is the uh, Centers for Disease Prevention and Control, or CDC. The identity of a patient should not be disclosed unless required by law. And even in a disclosure to a public health authority, uh, or if the disclosure of the existence of a patient who tests positive for the coronavirus uh, is reported to law enforcement under mm-hmm. requirement of law, there's something called a minimum necessary rule, meaning you only report the minimum information required uh, to let them know. And in this case, uh, as was the case with the first Ebola patient that the CDC announced in Texas a few years ago, they called they call them the index patient. Mm-hmm. They didn't say their name gender, age, any of that information. Okay, but it was reported to law enforcement that they had a patient? Uh, It was publicly reported, but it was reported through the CDC and the Texas State Health Authority. It wasn't reported by a healthcare provider to law enforcement. Okay, so in this case, a county health authority, so a health department or health district, uh, still is going to err on the side of not disclosing patient information to law enforcement. And that's the correct decision. So if law enforcement needs that information, I think there should be a clear statement of what they're going to do with it and what information do they they need. When this is over, and this is frankly, you're the first call I've gotten on privacy, but I've been waiting for this because sadly downstream when the outbreak is controlled and we don't have any more cases, there will probably be litigation where patient privacy has been compromised. Maybe the patient never even had coronavirus, yet they've been stigmatized by friends, family, or had job loss or some other impact because people couldn't keep their information private.
Interesting. And um, have you seen this then? In Absolutely. When we've had SARS, MERS, Ebola, and so on? Uh, a, a, a patient who never had Ebola, but who had, who had and never had a fever, but who had uh, some other symptoms, uh, and so was in observation, um, had their identity, identity compromised in a small town in the middle part of the country. Everyone figured out who it was because they told everyone what country in Africa they'd come from, approximate age, gender, uh, what job they were doing, and everybody in that town knew who it was. Uh, they lost their job. Um, uh, their father disowned them because they thought they actually had Ebola and they'd, they'd, they'd jeopardized the safety of the entire country when they never had it. And now this person has been branded for life as the Ebola guy, and they wow. never had it. Wow. So very, very sad, uh, you know, uh, impact. And, of course, Ebola is uh, from... Uh, the data I've seen, of course, the, 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 the published death rate for Ebola is far, far higher than, than with coronavirus. Um, but here's someone who never had it and who was uh, harmed tremendously, not because they had the disease, but someone compromised their privacy about maybe potentially having the disease. Thank you, Michael. Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak announced on March 15th that all schools, both public and private, will close until early April. He made that announcement along with the statement that state government agencies are reducing services. Many people are being told to work from home. The next day, Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevy announced business closures. She said the closures would also affect college campuses. I, one of the reasons I wanted to call this press conference is because I have had a lot of questions about the business community, certainly the restaurants um, and the bars. And one of the things I want you to know, um, we were going to let you know that we were requesting that you stop all business uh, for two to three weeks. However, we just got information in that Washoe County Health Department is asking that we stop uh, non-all-essential business. And so we want everyone to get ready, um, not to panic, but prepare. We think that this is the appropriate measure considering the circumstances. Um, and if this is what we have to do to protect this community from this virus, this is what we absolutely need to do. Um, so I want to remind all businesses, that's bars, restaurants, gyms, um, all non-essential businesses. I want to stress, though, that when we say that, um, we will make sure that we have food available from our grocery stores to our pharmacies, uh, gas stations will remain open. Um, those are essential services that will remain open. So just know the next step will that be that we will ask you to um, halt all business throughout the city. That announcement was met with quick denunciations, primarily from small business owners. But the Washoe County Health District, Truckee Meadows Community College, and the University of Nevada, Reno, each said the mayor's comments did not reflect their positions. The health district said it is not mandating business closures at this time, and a TMCC official sent an email to staff that said the college reports to the Nevada System of Higher Education, not the Reno mayor, and UNR said it, too, remains open. The next day, the city clarified its order to shut down businesses. At the time of this broadcast, it's looking like the state will also be ordering business shutdowns. Check into thisisreno.com for the latest on coronavirus news in the Reno area. 
Here is Assistant City Manager Bill Thomas explaining the city's shutdown of certain businesses. A lot of what we've heard um, is compounded by this conversation about essential and not essential, and I want to segregate that conversation back to the um, basically four businesses or business activities that are subject of the mayor's um, action. First is bars, and um, if we have a definition of bars, and we can certainly provide that to anybody who might question. I've also got Michael Chomp here if anybody wants to understand um, what a bar is defined as. But bars would be the first business that would be um, mandatorily closed in the city of Reno only as of this Friday, 5 p.m. this Friday, March 22nd, and under 20, I'm sorry, March 20th. And that would be through 11.59 on April 5th. So that's the window we're talking about. Um, I would hope everybody can understand everything we're doing now is fluid. We're responding to a public health emergency um, and applying reasonableness in terms of how we administer the activities that we feel as government we need to take. Uh, but that's the window for this mandatory closure. So again, the first class of business would be bars. And it would be bars in any facility. So for example, many of the questions we've got, does that mean a casino? If there's a bar in the casino, just like a freestanding bar, those would be required to be closed. Secondly, nightclubs. All nightclubs, which um, of course, encourage and in fact are there for the purpose of drawing people together would be closed. Again, whether those are freestanding nightclubs or nightclubs in casinos, they would be closed. The third category is gymnasiums um, open to the general public. In other words, any place where people go to um, work out in, in groups that are open to the general public. And then lastly, and this is the one that I think has had the most confusion about what it means, <clears throat> the dry or the dine-in portion of restaurant activities. In other words, if you have a restaurant and you have no dine-in area, then it wouldn't affect you. If you have a dine-in area, that's the part that's being closed. Getting back to the core purpose of this is to take actions that would discourage or prevent people from assembly. So the ban is simply on uh, dine-in restaurant activity. Restaurants as a class of business aren't outlawed, but the dine-in part of the business is. So as I said earlier, and I'll just clarify, these closures will begin on Friday, March 20th at 5 p.m. and be only for the city of Reno. They will be um, removed, assuming that the facts are the same as they are today, um, tentatively on April 5th at 11.59 p.m. If there were to be an extension beyond that, that would be something that would be um, brought out well before that time and, of course, would be based solely on the facts of what's happening in our community related to this virus. The um, other thing I wanted to talk about since we've gone through the temporary closures is to get to what I believe personally has been the very confusing part of um, what transpired. And that is um, the mayor 
and her comments about guidance. And what I mean by guidance is very similar to what you've heard from the president, from the governor, from everybody who's been talking about this, which is if you have a business where people congregate, and the term we're using now, more than 10 people, if you have a business where more than 10 people congregate, or where you can't maintain safely the separation of individuals by six feet, then the guidance is you should close the business until we get past this period. However, and I need to reiterate this, this is not mandatory. This is a guidance. So each of you as business owners, um, it's left to you to make the decision. Clearly what the mayor is saying is that for the benefit of the public and the community as a whole, if you cannot assure that 10 people or less are assembling or that people are maintaining a six-foot separation, then we would encourage you not to operate your business. One of the biggest problems from closures, scalebacks, and reductions is people hoarding important household goods, such as toilet paper. I reached out to Paul Enos, the president of the Nevada Trucking Association, to find out what exactly is going on with getting supplies to the Reno area. Here's what he said. So you, you were just saying uh, offline that this is sort of an unprecedented time, and the reason I wanted to get in touch with you is to see how you all were dealing with the uh, coronavirus situation. So, you know, here, here's what I'll tell you. The supply chain is something that we know very well that we work in every day. Um, there's not any underlying issues with the supply chain in terms of not having most products. Now, there are things like uh, hand sanitizer and disinfecting wipes and, of course, the N91 masks that, you know, we have, um, we have a shortage in, you know, at a manufacturer level. But in terms of food and toilet paper and those things that we consume every day, those things are in the supply chain. They're, they're being produced, they're being manufactured and put on a truck and coming to the grocery stores. Where we've seen the issue hasn't been in, you know, in terms of a breakdown in that supply chain. It is how we are acting as consumers. So we know that there's going to be an uptick at Christmas. And we're planning in August for how we're going to get all the goods into the stores uh, at Christmas time. What we have seen is a month and a half of inventory last week being wiped out in four days. Um, you know, I said this weekend it was akin to it, we, we were seeing activity akin to Christmas shopping. It's actually greater than that. We saw we saw a 60 percent uptick in activity um, with stores ordering more to, to refill their shelves. So it has been a it has been a little bit of a, a whirlwind trying to ensure that we have all the goods that folks need. And to ensure that, you know, not only do we have the diagnostic kits and the medicine and all of those things that promote community health, you know, such as cleaners, masks, gloves, hand sanitizers, that those get to the folks that are going to be treating the patients with the, with the coronavirus. Uh, they also said we're going to give hours of service relief to replenish all of those supplies in our grocery stores. From toilet paper to 
pet food to the food that you and I are are eating uh, eating every day. So that supply chain, it still exists. The private sector is amazingly nimble in terms of being able to ensure that our store shelves are stocked. And I know people go and they freak out, you know, when they see stuff gone at the store. But I just like to assure your listeners, Bob, that that product will be there. It is on the back of a truck. What is occurring isn't because we have a shortage anywhere on the supply chain. We have a shortage because people are panic buying. So the product product is available. It just needs to get moved quicker. Is that fair to say? It just needs to get it just needs to get moved there. Look, this is going to return to normal when people start acting normally. That's that's what's fair to say. I mean, to be honest with you, to try to get everything loaded and unloaded, you know, at the demands that we have, it's tough to meet it's tough to meet those demands, which is why we've seen truncated store hours and why we see empty shelves. But, you know, then again, folks should go and buy what they normally buy. You know, don't go absolutely crazy and clean the store shelves out because that's where we're seeing this this issue. It's on the demand side. That's it for this week in Reno News. Please keep in mind that any reporting on COVID-19 is bound to change. Stay healthy and check in to thisisreno.com for the latest on coronavirus news in the biggest little city. For KWNK Community Radio, I am Bob Conrad from thisisreno.com. Thank you.